you take your Bibles and head over to the gospel, um, not the gospel, we're going to start in Acts. Acts 17 is where we're going to get started. If you don't have the notes that are for this, you walked in, you didn't get it, uh, would a couple of you men be so kind as to grab the notes, okay? And if anybody doesn't have them, because I, I really would encourage you to have the notes to write things down. Raise your hand. The men are going to walk through the auditorium, give you these papers. Um, thank you, Randy. And anybody else want to give a hand? We can do this quickly. I see Pat's there too. Thank you. What we talked about last week, if you weren't with us, okay, and let me see if I can get this working. We were in John 11. And I don't want to go back into that because I want to keep moving forward. And John 11 is the story of Jesus coming to deal with Lazarus's death. And he meets Mary. He meets Martha. And they have conversations. And they're very upset. They say, Lord, where were you? Why, if you had been here, he wouldn't have died. And we talked about some of that confusion. We talked about several different ideas that come out of that text. That if you study it, you'll probably have a whole variety of different truths and principles that are profound that are important about any crisis, any trial. In this one we're talking about a terminal death. And uh, so we, we can rehearse all of these different principles. They are profound. They are very important for us. And uh, they demonstrate, illustrate the grace of God. But here's a question I want to pick up from today. And based on that idea and what we read in John, how do we handle major illnesses? We were in the midst of number one last week when we had to stop. And so what I gave them to you in the notes is we start at the very back of the notes and say, okay, reflect throughout the journey. We'll explain that in a few minutes. Don't reject realities of life. We'll explain that in a few moments. Rise of fear, self-pity, and listen, accept the help of others. Turn to the Lord. This is where we stopped last week. We were talking about developing biblical thinking and having our minds prepared ahead of time before a crisis, a, a tragedy. Tragedies, they, they come. They are, they, there's, there are situations that none of, us, none of us can fully explain. We don't understand. We heard about the tragedy, and just this week it was in the news about a three-year-old and a five-year-old brother going to a neighbor's pool, and they found the children both floating in the pool tragedy. We hear about tragedies of just this morning, Pastor Art was sharing with, yeah, he had visited a church this week, and an 18-year-old young man surrendered to the Lord, headed for the ministry, was killed in a, in a freakish accident, road accident on Friday evening. And they have to deal with that. We hear these tragedies where all of a sudden somebody gets an illness. We have people in our church family that are going through terminal illnesses. We use that term, and yet the reality is, who's terminal? All of us. We're all terminal. But some people have more of, a, uh, of an awareness that their life will end shortly because of the, the cancers. We have individuals you know, that we know Though that happens. It happens to some of your friends, your families. You get the phone calls where all of a sudden, wow, things have changed. I mentioned last week that I got the phone call that my dad passed away suddenly. And it was grace of God that just took him very quickly. And uh, so this week we head out to the funeral. And so all this is real fresh and real, real pertinent. The, the issues that we run into trials, we need to be prepared ahead of time with all of us, or all of a sudden when we face it, we're going to collapse. And so preparing ahead of time involves us thinking properly and making sure we understand that we realize God is always in control. 
in that when God is in control, he cares. He cared. He loved Mary Martha. He loved Lazarus. There was no doubt about his compassion, that the Lord is in control, and we know this, that all things work together for to them who... Okay, and so there, that, those facts are real, that we have to be able to anchor ourselves in the idea that God knows, God's aware. We talked about suffering. Suffering is a part of our life. Those who are in that gospel preaching element that they preach, once you get saved, all your problems will be resolved. That's very appealing, but it's very false, okay? Offensive. You put whatever word you want in there. It's just plain garbage, right? Because not everything resolves itself as far as life problems when we get saved. True or false? They don't. I mean, did you end up having difficulties even after you're saved? Yeah, yeah. And so we, we need to realize that not all trials come as a result of punishment. They could. They could. Okay, that could be Hebrews 12. God could bring discipline into our life. But sometimes they come for other reasons. And we gave you a series of reasons last week based on John 11 and other passages that help us to understand, help us to explain, help us to answer people's questions. Like in John chapter 11, he said that this is happening for the glory of God. John 9 verse 1, the blind man at the, at the gate of the city who sinned? It was the question. Jesus said, nobody sinned. It's for the glory of God. There's the idea of building up the disciples' faith. There's the idea of bringing souls. Like in Lazarus's case, when he was resurrected, many people who saw believed. We talked about that idea last week when Paul's in jail, that he says this happened to, the, to me for the furtherance of the gospel. He says that the thorn in the flesh was given me to keep me from pride. He talks about how we are to become more like Christ, and one of the ways that that happens is through sufferings in our lives. They get us to call upon the Lord. They build our Christian character. They build patience. They build endurance. They build hope. The, the idea that, the, that Paul says that I will rejoice in all things, for when I am weak, then am I strong, okay? We have that idea that God uses this to help us to realize how dependable He is. It helps us to get into the Word of God more. They get our attention, that all of a sudden the trials afflict, so we call upon the Lord. They help us to better minister, that where I can comfort those wherewith I was comforted. So all these biblical reasons, including discipline, are reasons why suffering comes into our lives. Which one is happening? Which was the reason for you? I don't know. You might know. You may have clarity in your mind, and you've kept it to yourself. You might not know, and you might, might, might be like Job, who never had clarity given to why were his children's lives taken, why was his finances destroyed. He never fully gets the explanation during that time that we read the book of Job. And maybe God gave it to him later. Certainly in heaven he had a better realization. But the fact is that these sufferings, they come into our life, these trials happen to us, and no matter what the reason, our response is to be the same. We're to glorify God. We're to keep on being faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we want to go a step further. We mentioned last week, and I don't want to explain too much more, but if you weren't here, we mentioned and went through several passages quickly that medicines are appropriate to use. 
in trials, in difficulties. The Bible doesn't give the indication that, that we are to operate purely by faith without being practical. So we operate by faith realizing that God can use medicines. God can heal without medicines. God can heal with medicines. And so our response ought to be we thank God for the medical field. We thank God that they can do things that, that we benefit from. Yay? You know, some amazing things. We talked about how God healed Hezekiah, but he applied a poultice. We talked about how certain medicines can be used, and I used the illustration last week about using uh, the morphine to help when my mother was passing away. And it was brought to my attention, and it was a great thought, that, some, that I don't, you know, we don't want to swing the pendulum. There, medicines can be, people can become too dependent upon medicines as well. Yes? No? Okay, so we know that there has to be a balance in this. And so then when we talk about taking precautionary steps, we're going to talk a little bit more about this today. What about precautionary steps would include how we eat, how we take care of our bodies? That whether therefore we eat or drink or whatsoever we do, do all to the... Okay, with that in mind, should I be so presumptuous upon God that I say I can eat, I can do whatever I want, I can do risky things, and I'm a child of God and God will protect me? Well, that, that's foolish. That's foolish. That's the, what Satan tempted Jesus to dump, jump off the temple and God's angels. And he says you don't tempt God that way. Our point is this, is that we should be making steps of precaution. Uh, there's legitimacy. And, and I know, you know there's legitimacy for ladies to go to the doctors regularly. Men, we don't need to. Okay. <laughs> or so we think. Okay, and we act that way. But uh, there's, there's areas we want to talk about. Let's get into this one, okay? These are those principles you've got to keep in mind when it comes to life and death. Trials, difficulties, but especially life and death. We start, started last week and said all human life is sacred. Why is all human life sacred? Because man is made in the... How many people have that image of God? Everyone, if you took your Bibles, and, I, and Exodus 21 is the passage that I quickly referenced last week. This is about the unborn. God values unborn life. He says in that text, he says that if somebody does harm to a woman who's pregnant and it causes the death of the child, what happens to the person who did harm to the woman that caused the death of the child? Their life shall be forfeited. Okay, so God values even the unborn life. All life is valued. Even the elderly are valued by God. Okay, I know that that is, a, that is becoming a whole different type of thinking in America. Okay, that people aren't valuing life. What the, and and I'm, I'm going to say it, and I know it's politically incorrect anymore. All lives matter. They do. They do. They do. Every life matters, including black lives, yes? Okay? Including red lives. And whatever race, nationality, including Jews, okay? They all matter. God is the ultimate sustainer. You're in Acts chapter 17. Paul is preaching in this text. And he's preaching to a group of unbelievers who are philosophers and scholars and people who are the hoi polloi. And he's talking on Mars Hill. And he makes a comment that he's getting their attention. And he's talking about the God, the unknown God. 
and a, the God that they have a statue to. And in the middle of his comments, he's talking about this idea. And I'm going to pick up, let's, let's go to verse 25. Neither is worship with men's hands as though he needed anything, seeing he gives to all, life, uh, to all life, breath, and all things, hath made of one blood all nations of men to, for to dwell on the face of the earth, and has determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation, that they should seek the Lord, if happily they might feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. For in him we what? We live and move and have our being. He's not talking spiritually in this text. He's talking physical life. Okay? Man's life, every man's life is bound up with the grace and the power of God, the sustenance of God. And so all life is sustained by God. All life. Let's go a little bit further. God knows all about our bodies and makeup. Psalm 139. Psalm 139. When God makes us, he makes us by his design. You've got to turn here. You've got to mark this, okay? Because this is, a, this is a very appropriate passage to deal with this idea of gender identity. Have you heard of this lately? Okay. People not knowing what gender they are. or They're confused. And they're, they're, there's a commercial that every time it comes on, I, most every time I make a comment to my wife, like, oh, yo, that's a stupid commercial. The phrase is, oh, now I'm going to forget the phrase. The gender you were at that was not assigned. The gender you were ident- with your birth, something accidentally given to you at birth or whatever it is. There is no accident with creation. There's none. Psalm 139. Psalm 139. Go down to verse 13. This is God dealing with your body, describing what he does. For David is saying, for you possessed my reins, you covered me in my mother's womb. In other words, God knew all about you before you were born. God knew what you would look like. God knew I would be balding. He knew exactly where my strengths and weaknesses were especially, you know, would be profound for me as the weaknesses. And he goes on, he says, I will praise thee for I am fearfully and wonderfully. What's your next word? Okay, not an accident. We were made the way we are. Marvelous are thy works and my soul knows right well. My substance was not hid from you. This is, again, in the womb. When I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. He's talking about the womb. Okay. That God knew what he was doing with you, with your DNA, with your skill sets, with your abilities, with your hair color, with your eye color, with your gender. God made us the way we were birthed. Okay? He goes a little bit further. And he says, your eyes did see my substance yet being unperfect or immature or not to full development. And in your book, all my members were written, which in countenance were fashioned. In other words, God had a diagram for you. God had an architectural plan for you. You are uniquely made and designed for what God said will bring his greatest glory with giving you gifts, talents, whatevers, not giving you certain gifts or talents, and making you the way you are to make the greatest contribution to society and to his glory. God makes no 
mistakes, okay? And so he goes on, he says that, that not only did you make me, but this is that passage, how precious also are your thoughts about me. Oh God, how great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they are more than the number of the sand. Not only did God design us a special way, but God continues to think about us. That is amazing. Amazing that God would remember us. I can't remember people's names. When you get my age, it'll get worse. Okay? That I, you know, I forget my kids' names. I have to start at the top and go all the way through. Okay? I have forgotten to make phone calls to people. I've forgotten to get back to some of you when I said I would get back to you. But God doesn't forget us. God remembers us. God thinks about us. That's an amazing God that he thinks about each one of us when we forget about one another. God doesn't. God is in full control of our lives. Okay, in Psalm 68, unto the Lord belongs the issues or the idea of deliverance from death. God is in full control of life and death. Okay, have you ever had one of those close calls? You know, all of a sudden, that could have been a serious accident. Okay, that's not an accident. Okay, there's those God things that happen throughout our life, we often, throughout the day, we kind of whew, just pass them off. But God is in control. In fact, he has determined the length of your days. Okay, so we're talking with somebody yesterday that's dealing with terminal illness, and our thought as we are talking is we could all die before that person. Any of us could. Maybe we'll all be raptured before an illness takes life. I wouldn't mind that. Maybe you would, but I don't mind. The length of the day, God knows exactly what it, what it is. In fact, it is appointed. Now watch, watch the, the, the control of God. It is appointed unto man once to die. My times are in your hands. You're writing these things down, right? Because you're going to need these in your discussions. Go to the book of Job. Is there not an appointed time to man upon the earth? Seeing his days are determined, the number of his months are with you. You have appointed his boundary that he cannot pass. Here's a passage. If a man die, shall he live again? All the days of my life are appointed time. Will I wait till my resurrection takes place? For I know that you will bring me to death and to the house appointed for all the living. It is clear in Scripture, God numbers our days. It is not a mistake we call it an accident, but that 18-year-old boy, God had a design, a plan, a purpose, and knew his life would expire on Friday evening in that car accident. God knows. God uses it. Do we understand fully? No. But by faith, is this where we need to be? Yes, to deal with trials and difficulties. Yes, to say, oh, such, a, such an accident. Such, how could this be? God that we serve is in control. Okay, and so we go back and we have to remind ourselves that even Satan cannot take a life without God's permission. So we move on a little bit and we say, okay, what do we know about life and death? Let's give you another thought. Death will come to all, even godly people like Lazarus, even godly people like Paul, even godly people like David. Death comes to all unless God miraculously intervenes. Can you think of God's intervention that's miraculous? 
that it's ever happened? Enoch? Can you think of anybody else? Elijah, can you think of anybody else? Yeah, but he still died. Hezekiah, but he died. In all of human history, in all of humankind, with all the millions and billions, how many did not go through death? So what's the chances you will? 100%? Yeah, yeah. Okay, unless God miraculously intervenes and does what? If he raptures us, okay. Death is not the end, okay? The end of your life, and you, you know this. You understand this. So I'm not speaking, I'm speaking to the choir. But it's a principle we have to rehearse, remind ourselves, death is not the end. My dad, when he expired, he did not cease to exist. He is still alive. My mother is still alive. Her parents are still alive. The people that we've done funerals for during this past year in COVID, they're still alive. They're just not with us, but they're alive. I ask you this question, okay, that we go. How do you know that's true? Somebody asks you, how do you know you're going to continue living? What are you going to answer? How do you know it's true? Okay, God said so. Tell me where. Okay, what do you, what do you say? John 14, do you remember which part you're referring to? I'm preparing a place for you, and I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am. Okay, John 14 is excellent. What else do you have? Ron, did your hand go up? Great minds thinking the same way, right? John 3.16? Okay. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not but have. Okay, great. What else? What do you have? Okay, John 11. Yeah, give me the something so people can write that down. Okay. 25, 26. John 11, 25, 26. John 1.12, for as many as believed on him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. What else do you have? Yes. Where's that at? <laughs> Book of Mormon? <laughs> see, see if you can find it, Lori, Kim. If you can find it, that's excellent. that believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. Any other passages that when you die, you, you continue to exist? David's son, I shall, he shall not come unto me, but I shall go to him. Okay? 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Okay, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. Look at this. Talk about great minds, Joyce. Okay. <laughs> okay. Absent from the body is... Okay, um, Luke 16, the story of Abraham, Lazarus, and the rich man. And I don't believe it's a parable, okay? Some will say it's a parable. I don't believe so. Unlike any other parable, he names names in this, specific people. So no other parable does, no, the parables don't do that. Uh, so he tells about people living after they die. 
Now, the rich man is living where? Being in... Okay, you got that part. Okay, in Revelation 6, remember we talked about this in our end time series. Those who were martyred for the, during the tribulation, they are under the altar of God. Their spirits, their souls are crying and saying, how long, O Lord, until you avenge us? So their spirits are still alive. You said John 14, Philippians 1. This is the passage where, oh, this is a tremendous text. I'm going to be referring to it in just another minute, so let's flip there. Philippians chapter 1. Um, you got to mark it. If you didn't mark your Bible, and it's okay to mark your Bibles, right? Philippians chapter 1, where he says this comment, for me to live is Christ. We're in Philippians 1. Jump down to verse 21. To die is, okay. But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. Yet what shall I choose? I, I'm in a straight. I'm really challenged. Having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better, nevertheless to abide in the flesh is more needful for you, having this confidence, etc., etc. Passage that's talking about Paul in that turmoil. I want to be... This is the turmoil a lot of you are in. You want to be with the Lord. But at the same time, you have family and friends here. You're like the woman who is traveling across the ocean. And they were talking about this ship that she was on. And she was traveling from, uh, from England to the New York City. And she's on the ship. And her daughter is in New York that she's traveling to see. And her other daughter is with her. Uh, has already passed, excuse me, has already passed away. And they asked her, why isn't she upset? Because there's the possibility of the storm and the ship. And she says, no matter what happens to me, I'm going to see my daughter. I'm going to see one of them, no matter what happens to me. I'm going to be reunited with one of them. She had that assurance. That's what Paul is talking about. I have loved ones beyond. I have loved ones here. And so he's in a, he's in a straight. The word is, uh, where he talks about straight, is a strong pull. It's being, I, I'm, it's, it's like your arms are being pulled out. It's just a pressure on both ends. And so he talks about that idea. Let me, uh, before I go further, did you find that, te- that reference at all? Ecclesiastes 3.11. Thank you. Thank you. And again, it's stated, he has put eternity in their hearts. He has put eternity in their hearts. Ecclesiastes 3.11. Mark that down so I don't forget it, please. Let's go on. Death and dying is fearful to most people. Would you say that's truth? Okay. Then in the pandemic, were you sensitive to other people? Okay. I'm going to chide us believers as a whole. A lot of us were frustrated. A lot of us were frustrated with the pandemic. We were frustrated with the regulations. But did, should we have been careful and cautious how we spoke and said to people who have not Christ in their hearts, who were absolutely fearful of the pandemic? So here I come. You're unsaved. Thank you for volunteering. Okay. <laughs> You're unsaved. You are in a, you are in a panic over the pandemic. I question its factuality, all those different things. If I bust about this whole thing and discount it and make you feel like you're being stupid, are you going to want to listen to me when I share the gospel? 
Seriously? Okay. There was a time and a place for us to speak about our, our opinions about how things were done. But the time and the place needed to be done with caution and care before lost people who took this as a fearful thing. Does that make sense to you? Okay. Because otherwise we're discounting and we, how do we give them hope? How do they listen to us? Okay. And again, I have not shared my political opinions on that whole thing other than just a little bit just now. Um, how foolish I think some of it was. For the believer, death is just a doorway into heaven. This is true for us. This is true for us as believers. It doesn't have to be. The process is fearful, but the outcome isn't. Okay? The, because we're, we're, death for us is a doorway. A doorway into eternity. A doorway where everything gets better. I mean, you're looking forward to your Disney vacation or whatever you're doing for vacation. How much better is heaven than Williamsburg? Than Disney? Than getting together for a family reunion? (laughs) How much better is heaven? Okay. And we're not trying to be silly about it and be flippant. But the reality is, we're confident we're willing to be absent from the body to be present with the Lord. Now, do we get so confident and willing that we say, let's take our lives? No, we're not going to be that silly and that ridiculous. However, we realize this is a truism. We have these facts in our mind. We remember them as we face our own death, as we face the death of a loved one. It is still extremely hard. Now, don't, let's not swing the pendulum and say, okay, let's not do this. You three ladies, you shouldn't have any sorrow in your heart. Your husbands are with Christ, and you should be just rejoicing. And you shouldn't be sad. And you want to do what to me? Smack me. Okay. Does that ever happen at funerals? It does. Has it ever happened in this church? It has. It has. We have got to remember that death is not easy for family and friends. The picture I put up here, who is it? Did you catch the picture? It's at the foot of the cross. It's John and Mary. Okay, did Mary have a realization of some of this coming? Oh, by the way, and if you know death is coming, it's not going to be so hard. That's what's said, right? It's not true. How long did Mary know that Jesus was going to suffer? She was told when he was an infant. She was told. And so when, when they get to that spot, all of a sudden, it's hard. It's hard if it's a sudden death. It's hard if it's a terminal illness. It's hard. It's hard if they're saved. It's really hard if they're lost. It's hard. And so what we need to do is we need to say, okay, why is it hard, and what do we need to do to prevent this or help this? How do we help the person? It's hard because you love the individual. You love the person. Yes? No? Okay. You love them. Does your love stop when you put them in the grave? No. It's hard because the immediate decisions you have to make 
All of a sudden, as soon as a loved one passes away, what are the immediate decisions that have to be taken care of within hours? What's this? A funeral. Burial. What's that? Obituary. Let's just put them down. If they're ill, you have to decide, do we pull the plug or don't pull the plug? Some of you have been there. If they pass away, you have to decide a funeral home. Sure, you know all about them because you've been researching them. You've had this for years. How many of us have researched funeral homes? All of a sudden, you have to decide after an accident. You have to decide, are we going to do cremation? We're going to do a burial. And the the majority of people, their decisions are saying, Deb, you just volunteered. I wonder what they would have wanted. And there's never been a discussion. And all of a sudden, you have this issue. What about organ donation? And even if you say we want to do organ donation, do they always take the body for organ donation? No. If there's certain illnesses or certain situations, they may reject it. So you have it on your license. Your family says, we're not going to plan any of this. We're not going to plan it because we're going to donate my body. Deb says, I'm going to donate his body to science. So she donates my body to science. They take one look at it. And they say, no way. And in her mind, she said, I don't have to make decisions now for months and months and months because if they take the body and they do the typical, it's going to be a year, and then they'll bring me back the urn in the ashes, and I pick it up, and then I make my decision. If you do it, like, say, through Hershey. And, or you have somebody else go and pick it up. Okay. But all of a sudden it's thrown back on her because they rejected this thing and, they, and she has to make a decision. Or you have to figure out. And these, these seem so petty, but in the moment of not wanting to make decisions, you've, you're, you're being asked, how many questions did I ask you guys? Over and over and over again. Your night at the hospital when we were there. Within hours, what's that? Yeah. All of a sudden, what decisions like this did you have to make? All of them. And you weren't expecting your 21-year-old to be, to be 21, right? 27, okay. 27-year-old, you, you didn't expect any of this. And all of a sudden, you're dealing with, okay, what do you do for a service? Who makes the decisions when there's multiple people involved? Especially for some of you, some of you, they don't want the same thing you want for a service. And you, but you have to work it through. And then you have this one to deal with. You do realize funeral homes are a business. Okay? They are, they are in a business, and the business is to make money, to pay for things. They're not a charity organization. Somebody's got to pay for this. Okay? And don't, don't blame the funeral homes for having fees and expenses. Somebody's got to pay for it. And if you didn't make plans for it to be paid for, who's going to pay for it? Who's going to take care of yours? Okay, and are they always prepared for that? Okay. We, uh, our story. A year and a half ago, when my mother passed away, Nothing was planned. 
We talked about it, but nothing was planned. And the reason nothing was planned, because it was too difficult to talk about. So we don't want to make plans. So all of a sudden, when she expired, plans had to be made. Payments had to be made. Payments had to be made, and so some way, somehow, we all had to afford everything that we weren't planning on. I'm not complaining about it. I'm telling you a reality. That all of a sudden, somebody's got to deal with this. And you say, well, we've got insurances. Good for you. Where are those policies? Where are they? Do you know where you're... You say, well, my parents have this all planned, and they have it pre-planned, pre-paid. Do you know where the paperwork is? The funeral home isn't going to just... You're not going to be able to just say, well, you know, we've got an insurance policy. We'll get it to you sometime. So somebody's got to know these things. Somebody's got to prepare these things. Somebody, you're going to be asked a question. One of the questions that's going to come up is, how many death certificates do you need? By the way, you need death certificates to deal with a bank. You need death certificates to deal with insurance companies. One of our families had to have a death certificate to deal with Comcast. Okay? So you need death certificates. How many do you need? Okay? Do you need them to, you know, well, we own 10 cars, so we need 10 of them. In Pennsylvania, do we need death certificates for transferring car titles? If I don't sign a paper, yeah. But if yes, you, yes. yeah, can you take care of them at the home without, without a death certificate? Okay. So there's these questions that all of a sudden people are going to be asking and needing to know. So what we're going to do in a couple of weeks is we're going to give you some paperwork that you can start filling out. I don't have any better term. It's called a death file. You can fill it out. It'll be a road map for your family to know where to go, what to do. They'll know your intentions. They'll have some idea. Is it possible that some insurance policies never get cashed in because nobody knows about them? Is it possible some bank accounts never get caught up with because some family member did them in secret and quiet? Okay, we'll give you some paper we can fill out so you have a roadmap. By the way, on your roadmap, I'll give you one that's very, very important right now in the day and age we live in. Who knows where do you have your access to your media, to your computers? You've got, you know, we've got... Where is mine? Okay. We got our life that we lose. Okay. If you expire, who knows how to get to it? Well, somebody needs to know your passwords. They need to know that information. Or it dies with you, and if it dies with you, how are they going to deal with this stuff? And so it's very important. This is hard. If you're in the middle of this situation, a crisis... And you can't find paperwork. You don't have access to it. That is just one more added pressure on your family. That is huge. It's hard because the change, the loneliness. Just because we're saved and we love the Lord and all of a sudden our spouse passes away. We trust God. We're still praising God. 
changes in life. Loneliness. Have you ever thought, have you thought this through? A number of widows and widowers are eating every meal by themselves unless a family member shows up or a friend. That's a change in your life, wouldn't it be? Isn't there a reason in Scripture why we're supposed to reach out to those individuals? Where all of a sudden they come to church and you three just happen to be sitting where, I'm, where you're in my eye shot. And each one of your cases I remember how difficult it was to come back to church because you sat right here and next to you your hubby. Yeah, you were on the inside. He was on the outside. And all of a sudden, do you think it's easy to go back to church by yourself? Not at all. It's hard. It's hard because you have long-term issues. What are the long-term issues? Obviously, the very first one that comes up. Long-term is... Hello? What's that? The loneliness. I'm, I'm talking in a physical sense now. Beyond that. Okay. How do you live? How do you live? You had two checks before. Okay. Oh, well, we, were, we were living on Social Security, so now it, we'll get both checks. No, it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. Dealing with closing accounts. How long... Reed, are you here? Are you still dealing with, with stuff that you're closing out? And how long has it been since Jim has passed? Six months. And you're still dealing with some of the stuff. And you've had some of the oddest things happen with you with paperwork that, that caused you to have to go back to paperwork from years and years ago. Pardon me? Do you mind? They had the dates wrong on their marriage license recorded. They had her birth date wrong. And so basically, Jim married a child. <laughs> so he should have been in jail all 64 years. <laughs> and in order to get it taken care of, they had to go back to the courts and have them, the judge, order that the original be changed before she could process any of the Social Security because how does an infant get married on a marriage license? So that, in, and nobody ever caught this for 64 years. So our teasing was, were you really ever married? Okay. <laughs> can you imagine, in Rita's case, can you imagine what that does to you emotionally? Where all of a sudden you go, oh, I got to go back to, to was a Bucks or Lehigh County, you had to go back to and go through the courts there, and there's fees for this. The courts don't operate free in order to just get the process of this done. So the, do, the closing of the accounts, um, one, of our folk, one of our folk to deal with the phones. How many months did it take you to deal with the phone? Months. Months. His name wasn't the original person on the phone. Lori's name was, it was in her name. 
they needed to talk to Lori. Lori's deceased. But we need to talk to her. And when you're emotionally distraught and you're trying to explain to somebody on the other end and you don't have all the adequate information, you don't have everything that initially was taken care of and they want to hear all of this, it gets emotional. And you want to do this. I'll deal with it later. I'll deal with it later. It's hard. Dealing with Social Security is a piece of cake. (laughs) Anything with the government is a piece of cake. Okay? Dividing assets. Do families ever have difficulty taking care of assets? Does anybody ever get jealous? So glad that Christians never have this problem. And when you're all saved, everybody gets along fine, and they don't care who gets the couch or the silver or the jewelry. We Christians never have problems. You know, there's a way to handle some of this. Plan it ahead of time. It is so simple to just go through your house, write the thing down, and if they're going to get upset afterwards, they get upset with you and you're gone. Prepare, plan. Help your family to get along when you're gone. Here's one for you. Maintaining properties. This is hard. How does a lady by herself maintain properties when she's never mowed before? Now, I'm working to make sure Deb knows how to mow. (laughs) I'm preparing her for this. Okay? That's how I'm handling this. It's not working, is it? Okay. Disposing of collections. Do you, ever, do you ever have somebody who has all kinds of neat collections? These things are going to be worth money one day. They're, everybody wants bobblehead dolls. Everybody wants those. They are going to be worth thousands. Those bobbleheads. Okay. And what's that? Take them to Jubilee. <laughs> what's that? Beanie bears are worth money right now. Oh, beanie bears. Don't you dare. Okay. Don't, don't you dare get them. Okay. I don't care. We don't have them, and there's a reason. They're not worth it. Okay. We're not dealing with beady bears. <laughs> That's the way they are. So people get these collections that are wonderful, that are great, but all of a sudden, you've made no plans, no arrangements. You know, somebody's got to deal with that. There's, there's this. Do friendships change when a spouse passes? Why? You're single. You're back to being single. You don't want to be. You're a third wheel or fifth wheel or whatever it is in the group. It's odd. It's hard. It changes. Never happens. Family conflicts never happen. Wow. 
How many people come up to you and talk to you about Claude? Some. People, some do? Yeah. Do you appreciate that? Oh, I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Does anybody ever t- talk about Jim? Yeah. What about your guys, your husbands? They do. Is it good? It always is. Okay. Why don't we talk about people who have deceased? Why don't we bring it up? Because what's that? It's hard. What do we assume? If I come up and walk up and say something, what do I assume is going to happen? She's going to cry. And by the way, she probably will. You know, already they're doing a little bit of the teary-eyed. Okay. Is that okay? Yeah. How many of you know people or have experienced that idea that a loved one has died and they're forgotten? A lady that we ministered to, she, this past year she went to be with the Lord. Part of our church since 78. And she said her hardest thing is when years ago we buried her daughter at age 16. And um, said the hardest thing was nobody wanted to bring up her daughter's name. On birthdays, she wanted to talk about it. Right? Yes? Do you want to talk about Allie at times? Okay. Is it an avoided subject at moments? It's a good opportunity. People ever ask about Lori? Yeah. Um, Craig, I'm thinking about you, Eunice. I have all kinds of thoughts about her that are good, but we don't talk about these things at times. And if, I'm, I'm, if I didn't mention somebody here whose loved one passed, please, um, I don't, I'm not doing it intentionally. I'm a bad memory. But we forget to bring up, those people are still important to them. Still important. And it's hard that everybody else forgets about them. So we go on and we say, okay, when it comes to life and death matters, is it okay to be emotional? Why do I put this picture up? What is it? John 11, 35. Jesus wept. Please keep this in mind. It's okay to weep. Even Christ wept at the grave. It's okay to be emotional. And how often do those emotions, how quickly do they, do? They, well, how, how quickly do they pass? They don't. They don't. It can be years later and you still have your moments. It's okay. By the way, look at it from the flip side. If there isn't the emotions... Don't the emotions show something good? Don't they reveal? It's okay to be emotional. Is it okay for men to be emotional? Yes, Jesus wept. Is it okay for godly people who know they're in heaven to be emotional? It's okay, Jesus wept. On that note, let's stop and let's pick up in two weeks, okay? Thank you so much.